So I'm going to be reading from Mark 14, starting at verse 12 today. It says this, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of the disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. So did the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. One by one they said to him, surely not I. It is the one of the twelve, he replied, who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better if he had never been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of a covenant, which is poured out for many. He said, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for the reminders of, of who you are, the scripture that reveals so much of who you are and how you love people. We pray that we can follow that example and that we can learn more about you together today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So hello again, everyone. It is wonderful to be with y'all this morning. And as I say, it's nice to be back and not be sick and to be able to be around people. That is, uh, as an extrovert, there isn't much greater punishment than being in isolation and not being able to see people. So that was like the hardest part <laughs> of being sick. Uh, I know I'm going to talk a bunch about food today. I know it's kind of a standing joke that I talk about food all the time. I really like talking about food. I spend a lot of my money on food. Uh, whenever I meet with people, I try to make it over a meal. Uh, at the end of my first year working at Wellspring, the finance team, who are so wonderful and patient and great with me, said, James, so you're under budget in like everything, like everything you're under budget. You haven't really spent much money in many places other than the meals and hospitality where you're way, way over. <laughs> so they're very kind and they adjusted the budget so that now I have far less expenses anywhere else and continue to spend most of it on food for people. And as they say, it's a particularly cruel irony that I can't really taste anything right now. Um, that is, of all the side effects, not being able to taste stuff is definitely the worst of the side effects. But the upside is I can eat spinach all the time, apparently. So that's something. It's not much of a, not much of a plus. 
So when I talk about like enjoying meals and really savoring meals, I, I mean that. I want us to take this seriously. Like think about what it is that I've lost <laughs> and enjoy food because I can't. So I'm kind of like inspired by a conversation I had recently. As I said, I really like to talk about food. I like to talk about Jesus and how much Jesus likes to talk about food. And I like to talk about communion as well. Uh, and just so you know, I consider the meal that we're having after the service today to, to be our communion, to be our meal sharing, to be our time where we remember what it is, uh, what Jesus has done, the kind of example that Jesus gives us. Uh, but one of the leaders in the church said to me recently how she'd said to a friend, oh, we sometimes do communion a little bit differently. Uh, instead of getting a wafer or bread and a little shot glass of grape juice, we, we do a whole meal together and we, we sit and we enjoy one another's company and we take time. And, and her friend said to her, oh, I, I don't know, like I, I just think there's some traditions that you shouldn't interfere with. And, and I, you know what, I couldn't agree more. Like, let's not mess with tradition. Let's do communion the way that Jesus does communion. Let's share a meal the way that Jesus shares a meal. So I wanted to look at the way that Jesus ate and the meals that Jesus shared during his ministry and, and look at what communion became and, and sadly what it became. And, and what I would love for communion to become again. And when I'm done, we'll sit down and we'll eat and we'll feast together and it'll be beautiful. <laughs> we also have so many hot dogs. Like, I cannot stress how many hot dogs we have. Please eat. Also, uh, if you don't like pork, we've got beef hot dogs. If you don't like meat at all, we've got veggie hot dogs. Like, you're, you're covered. We just want you to, to sit and eat and enjoy time with us. So I thought I'd start this by looking at all the times that Jesus shares a meal in the New Testament. And it turns out that's quite a Herculean task. Jesus, as it turns out, shares a lot of meals. So we're going to rip through this really quickly. But I want you to see if you can notice a recurring theme. See if you can notice something that comes up over and over again in these meals. So these are the meals. So in John 2, we hear about Jesus at a wedding feast at Cana. Then in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5, we hear about him eating with tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew 12, Mark 2, and Luke 6, we hear about him eating from the grain fields with his disciples. In Luke 7, we hear about him eating at the house of Simon the Pharisee. In Matthew 14, Luke, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6, he feeds the thousands 4,000, 5,000, might be different events, might be the same event, plus all the women, plus all the children. So five figures worth of people getting fed there. At Luke 10, he's eating at the house of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, we hear him eating with a certain Pharisee, although we don't know which certain Pharisee. In Luke 14, he's eating at the houses of one of the chief Pharisees. In John 12, Matthew 26, Mark 14, He's eating at the house of Simon, who had leprosy. And then in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, we hear about his last supper with the disciples. Now, as Christians, this tends to be the meal that we really focus on. That's one of the texts that I read this morning. It's kind of 
an outline for how our church has done communion for centuries. Uh, one of the fun things I love is that the Last Supper isn't really the Last Supper, because here are some suppers that Jesus had after the Last Supper. In Luke 24, he met some men on the road to a mess and then shared a meal with them. Later in Luke 24, he eats with, and I quote, the disciples and others. And in, Luke, in John 21, he eats with the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. So does anyone, anyone notice anything in common? Anyone notice a theme running all the way through? Me neither. The only commonality I can see is that Jesus sits and he eats with everyone. Anyone that wants to have a meal with Jesus gets to have a meal with Jesus. And we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? Who is it that Jesus spends his time with? What can that teach us about Jesus? What are his priorities? Where is his heart? And so we've looked at how Jesus interacts with Pharisees. We've looked at how Jesus interacts with people with leprosy. We've looked at how he interacts with his disciples. We've looked at how he interacts with tax collectors, with sinners, with the multitudes, with Martha and Mary. We've seen how different all those groups are, how varied they are. Their lives are different. Their stories are different. Their experiences are different. And yet all of them are welcome to feast with Jesus. And I think that is an incredible and beautiful thing. Some of those people would have been the most respected in society. Some of them would have been the most despised in society. Some of them would have been shunned at meals. Some of them wouldn't have been invited to meals at all. Even that, that Last Supper, which, as we've established, isn't really a Last Supper, even that quote, Last Supper kind of has these two extremes at it. Peter, who is Jesus' closest friend, the guy, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. He sits next to Judas, who's Jesus' most dangerous enemy. But they're still invited to sit and eat with Jesus. I would have, <laughs> I would have loved to have read all of John's account of the Last Supper. It's about a quarter of John's gospel, so that's why I didn't do that to you this morning. But it's, it's such a wonderful thing. I can encourage you to read that all the way from John 13 to John 18. We see the way that Jesus is with his disciples. We see the highs and the lows. We see Jesus say, this is what it means to abide in me and I'll abide in you. Jesus shows those disciples, what it means to serve when he washes their feet. He shows them what it means to remember him. And so they spend this evening feasting and laughing and struggling and learning and being confused. And, and they all share from one cup. They shared from one bread. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and somehow we, we've kind of managed to distill that meal, that time, those hours, that feast into uh, like a, a shot of grape juice and a, and a cracker. I am um, <laughs> actually the jeans that I was going to put on today, but decided to wear shorts. Uh, I have one of those. Do you remember during COVID? 
they had those like pre-done communion sets and it was like a shot of grape juice with a wafer on top of it and just so you know like that's okay i'm not like mad about that it's okay and and communion is useful for different people in different ways and for some people we want more time to be quiet and to reflect and, and that's okay so i'm not trying to take that from anyone that enjoys communion being done in that way I, I just think it's sad that we've managed to distill this beautiful meal into something that can be done on such an individualistic level like something we can now just do by ourselves we just crack the lid off it and knock it back and it's good like i'm glad we could do communion in a way that didn't get other people sick like that's that's important but i don't think communion should be do something we can do so easily on our own so the the root like this is and this is why one of the reasons the root of communion is literally like com is like with and union is union <laughs> So like so it's like with union or together union. You see see the irony of communion being something that can be done on our own, be done so individualistically. This is is another fun thing about words. Uh, the word companion. So com with and pan means anyone speak French? Bread. Very good. Literally with bread. Companion is someone that we eat bread with. It's someone that we can feast with. Throughout the ages, the church has, has been quite focused on that Last Supper, as I say. But we've kind of replaced what it means to share, to, to share that one cup with, with something that can be done on an individual level and to remember what it is to serve, to look at that example of feet washing. Instead, so often we just have one person at the front serving whilst everyone else receives. I just don't think that's how it's supposed to be. Perhaps the greatest irony, of course, is that communion, this with union, this togetherness, has been perhaps the greatest source of division and recurrent reason to exclude people from the shared meal. Like It would be funny if it wasn't quite so tragic. Many Christians won't let people outside their own denominations take communion with them. That's, again, there's lots of denominations that do that. I'm not going to single anyone out. Uh, lots of churches won't share communion with people that aren't members of their churches. That's quite common as well. I didn't know this until this week. I'm learning all kinds of ways about Christians like to exclude one another. I read, I read a quote. I was trying to understand this. I'm like, why would you exclude someone from communion? It means literally like with people. And, and this pastor said, well, I wouldn't let someone that wasn't on my team play football for my football team. So why would I let someone who isn't on my church team take communion? Because like, it's not sports. Because <laughs> that's different. And also because we're on the same team. Like <laughs> This isn't a zero sum. <laughs> not losing because you take communion because we share a meal together. How could I? Uh, Bill Ryan, who is hopefully succeeding on a barbecue right now. <laughs> he, he's one of the elders at the church. Also a really good friend. If you're new here, you think I'm just bullying some random guy. Like Bill's one of my favorite people in the world. I'm sorry. 
but he was involved in this kind of um, multi-denomination ecumenical team at University of Toronto where groups of Catholics and Anglicans and Baptists and Presbyterians would get together for a service and they'd all have a service together, which is a, a great and a beautiful and impressive thing. And it's, you know, it's heralded as this great progressive movement an example of Christians putting their differences aside despite hundreds of years of disagreement. And Bill was like, so when do we do communion then? And the room just like laughs. They're like, Bill, we are not there. Like, <laughs> we're not there yet. That's, that's crazy. We're not doing that. Like, a lot of Christians don't want to embrace the irony <laughs> that communion is one of the most divisive parts of our faith. And so I want to be generous. Let's 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 lean on the kind of scripture that I think um, some of those Christians are, are leaning on. People want to take this seriously, and I think they should. And much like my friend who said, you know, there's some traditions we don't want to mess with. I think it's important that we approach these things with with reverence, <laughs> and we take scripture seriously about this. One of, the, one of the reasons for putting so many restrictions on the cup comes from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord. And we don't want to do that. Like, I want to be really clear. That's bad. Don't, don't sin against the body and blood of our Lord. That's a bad idea. And different denominations have kind of decided what it means to eat or drink in a manner unworthy of the Lord. And so some people will say, well, you're not in our denomination, so you can't eat and drink in a manner worthy of our Lord. Or some people say you're not a church member, so you can't eat in a way that's worthy of our Lord. But the scripture tells us what it means to eat in a way that's unworthy. It's, it's literally like two verses above in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. The Bible is very clear on what it means to eat in a way that is unworthy of our Lord. It says this, When you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? This church, this early church in Corinth, was eating in a way that excluded people. They were eating in a way in which those who didn't have much didn't get anything. They were eating in a way that the hungry left hungry. And that is unquestionably eating in a manner unworthy of our Lord. That's not companionship. That's not communion. You can't have companionship. You can't share bread if you've eaten all the bread, right? And that's why it's so important to me uh, that there is always enough here. 
It's why it's so important to me that we never exclude anyone from taking communion here. And communion may look different from time to time. And I am genuinely okay with having the quietness and the bread and the grape juice and, and taking time to reflect. Like Those are good things to do. So it might look a bit more like that from time to time. But sometimes it's going to look like a meal that we all share together. Because this, this is about food, but it's, it's more than that, right? It's, it's about creating an environment where we can all eat, where we can all feast, where everyone is welcome. It's looking to Jesus' example and seeing he will always invite people to the table, that everyone is welcome. Everyone can eat with him. Even if you're going to stab me in the back an hour later, you're going to send me out to die, I will still share the cup with you, says Jesus. That question that inspired this whole series, which was supposed to go four weeks, and now we're like four months in, by the way. That question, why does your teacher sit and eat with sinners? Because what else is he going to do? It's who he always is. It's who he's always been. Why does your teacher sit and eat with sinners? A pertinent question for all churches right now is, why don't we? (laughs) How is it that a lot of churches are better known for who they exclude rather than who they include? I I don't talk about harsh Jesus very often, but I thought I'd talk about harsh Jesus just for a second, because why not? I know a lot of people are still recovering from only hearing about harsh Jesus, which is why I like to talk about the Jesus that sits and eats with the people that will break his heart, <laughs> but he sits and eats anyway. But I thought this was this was interesting too. When when Jesus sends his disciples out a little bit earlier in the in his ministry, he says this when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. See, he's about food a lot too. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus does mention Sodom and Gomorrah a couple of times, and it's interesting because I think it shows us which of Sodom's sins grieved Jesus. Notice he mentions nothing about sexuality, but everything about hospitality. Better to be Sodom, better to be that city destroyed (laughs) with fire from heaven than someone that doesn't welcome and feed the stranger. Be wary, (laughs) the town that doesn't welcome you, that doesn't welcome you into their home, that doesn't welcome you at their table the way that I would, says Jesus. So, So this is like one of my hopes, right, for the church in general, for this church in particular. Imagine how beautiful the church would be if we believed so passionately (laughs) about the importance of welcoming everyone to our 
table, even so passionately about what this, <laughs> you know, there's some Christians that have some pretty convicted ideas about what the sin of Sodom is, but then when Jesus says, well, the sin of Sodom is clearly about hospitality, imagine if they believe that so passionately. Imagine if people had, like, standards that said, God hates people that don't invite their stranger to dinner. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't the church be really cool if that were the case? Imagine if it was a refusal to welcome or share that got <laughs> the church riled up. Imagine if all that passion and dedication that currently seems to be going to unwelcome instead goes to meal sharing, to communion and companionship. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Is that the kind of church we want to be? It's the kind of church I want to be. We, we started talking about that tradition that Jesus outlined and how there's some traditions that you don't mess with. And I, and I absolutely agree we should do communion the way that Jesus does communion, in a way that welcomes everyone, in a way that everyone can feast together. Let's do this the way the early church did it. Let's sit and eat with sinners. and We can remember we're sinners too. That's good to do. But let's sit and eat and let's make sure that there is always enough and there is always room at the table. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your example, of what it means to share, of what it means to make space what it means to have enough. And Lord, we pray for uh, the pieces of our own hearts that need mending or healing, our vision that needs a little bit of correction to see you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that we can all sit and eat and feast and enjoy one another's company today. We thank you that there is enough. You ask these things in your name. Amen.